0: Film
1: spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button.
0: Maggie Gyllenhaal and Michael Fassbender co-star in Frank, about a genius musician who performs wearing a giant fake head, unsure if the world is ready for his big break. Robert Pattinson and Guy Pearce star in The Rover, gripping thriller set in the near future, where a man teams up with an unlikely friend to seek revenge on a gang of thieves. Both Frank and The Rover are now playing On Demand.
1: The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The art house is now in your house.
0: SVU is also brought to you by Harry's. For guys like you who want a great shave experience for a fraction of what they're paying now, go to harrys.com and get $5 off your first purchase by entering the code SVU when you check out. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer.
1: And I'm Alison Wilmore. And coming up on this edition of SDU, British prisoners exchange smoldering man stares in the jailhouse indie drama Start Up.
0: Later in the show, we'll bring you Q Shots. It's where we recommend some titles you can rent or stream at home right now, all centered on a common theme. In honor of Start Up, we'd originally planned to go Method Podcaster on this episode. You know, if you're going to review a movie, you have to. You have to know about the subject, so to be properly prepared about Startup, which is about life in British prison, we had both committed, we had both agreed to do this. We were going to get ourselves incarcerated in England for a period of no less than six months. We'd we'd really figured out most of the logistics. Allison was going to get busted for bootlegging the new season of Doctor Who, while I was going to become London's most infamous male prostitute. I've done a lot of research already about this. You had, you did some training. I did training, some exercises, some stretches, stretches and yoga. But just as our work visas came through, Allison got cold feet. I know. I'm glad that we were going to go the legal route, though. Shame on you. Work visas. Shame (laughs) on you, Allison. Shame on your lack of commitment to our listeners and your lack of commitment to Doctor Who. They deserve better. Yeah, I'm I'm embarrassed. Nonetheless, we will soldier on. We'll do our best. And since the two of the prisoners in startup are a father and a son, we're going to devote this episode to other movies about fathers and sons. But first up is opening break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand. Allison, what are our picks this week? Well,
1: first up, and available now on demand, is a film I've been so looking forward to catching up with, and I'm happy to see that it's finally out on demand Ida from Pavel Pawlikowski I hope I got that right uh, he did my summer of love among any many other movies I think that's the one that has been kind of his biggest since um, before this this is Poland's Academy Awards submission it is about a novice nun in the 1960s in Poland who visits her aunt before taking her vows only to be told that she's actually Jewish uh, that her parents were killed. Exactly, her parents were killed in the war, and that she'd been, you know, raised not knowing this. And so she and her aunt set out to find out what happened to her parents. Uh, so it's kind of a road trip movie slash mystery slash World War II drama. Nazywa się
0: Wanda Grus. To jest jedyna siostry pravna. Powinna ją siostra poznać, zanim złoży śluby.
1: It's been one of the most praised films of the year, earlier in the year, and we're starting to get down to the serious, serious drama's time of year, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, don't want to let some of these slip through the cracks, so that's, here's your chance to catch up on on Ida, which is currently available on demand. Also now available on demand are two films from unusual sources. The first is God Help the Girl, which is written and directed by Stuart Murdoch, of the band Belle and Sebastian. And it is a musical starring Emily Browning as a girl who escapes from a psychiatric hospital and travels to Glasgow where she starts a band. And I feel like if you know Belle and Sebastian and their particular sensibility, then you'll have a pretty good sense of, of what this This movie looks like. And the second is Trailer Park Boys Don't Legalize It, directed by Mike Klattenberg. This is the third film from the Trailer Park Boys franchise, which actually began as a mockumentary movie about petty criminals living in a trailer park in, I believe, 1999, then became a cult hit TV series, which eventually ended and is now coming back on Netflix for two more seasons because nothing ever goes away now. It just ends up slowly on Netflix or, or Hulu or God knows where else. Um, the film finds the characters played by John Paul Tremblay, Rob Wells, and Mike Smith trying to stop the legalization of marijuana because they think it'll eat into their illegal grow operation. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, that is Trailer Park Boys. Don't legalize it. And God help the girl. Both of those are currently available on demand. Teach your children well their father's hell did slowly go by and feed them on your dreams the one they picked the one you know by don't you ever ask them why if they told you you would cry just look at them and, and know they love you we're looking at some movies about fathers and sons in this episode and this is obviously a theme that's been returned to in quite a few movies some great classics and some that Probably no one remembers anymore, Matt. Are there any particular themes about movies of about fathers and sons that
0: come to mind when you think of this this category uh the one thing that's coming to mind right now is that i, I feel like f- movies about fathers and sons are very often like weepies for men they are almost they're almost like quote unquote women's pictures, but for dudes because they're very often they're very sentimental they're about you know generations of men being together and passing down traditions and the inevitability of mortality and aging and often maybe you know the father either dies or passes down something very important or they Res- end the resentments
1: often, resentments that mm, need to be aired yes. before before this moment yeah
0: or or they'll often end with like a wistful um voiceover or or like text things like i never saw my father again after that summer he died six weeks (laughs) later that kind of thing is always in there and like they always are tugging at your heartstrings and uh, generally they work for me uh you know i have a good relationship with my dad it's not like i have uh you know uh you're not building a baseball field just to summon him. exactly yes. right exactly <laughs> yes he never had a minor league uh, baseball career that didn't pan out that right. haunted him for life or anything the like only that. way you could connect with him is yeah right no no, no, no i've it,
1: met your dad you right. guys seem like you get along totally well
0: yes he's a lovely guy and yeah we don't have any issues so it's not like it's something that strikes very deeply but i don't know I guess uh, I, I maybe uh, I, you know I, I can enjoy a woman's picture too. Maybe I'm I'm more into sentimentality than I, I, uh, I really realize. And uh, yeah, these movies often get to me. I guess when they're good, you know, when they're not good, I could take or leave them. But yeah, I, I mean, like I think, a good father and son weepy. Why not?
1: Sure, and I think I, and that's an interesting point. I, I feel like that we don't often talk about the fact that there are a lot of male weepies out there and that it's it's absolutely as legit as as the kind of sentimental mom and daughter movie or, you know, that right. that uh, guys can be sentimental too. Uh, and I
0: think that... In the right context where there's no chicks around to
1: see it and right. judge us for it. Exactly. Well, I feel like that is something that's an interesting element of some of these movies is that... Traditional masculinity is dictated by not talking about your feelings, right? And so these movies tend to sometimes deal with like how do you communicate with someone about how you feel, yeah.
0: When being a man is about not right. talking about how you and feel, and they're often about like that inability, right? And how there's always like the 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 stern dad who can't express himself, but at the end of the movie. There's got so much love inside. There's like the one knowing hug, you know, (laughs) and then everyone starts crying. It gets a little dusty in the theater, you know, and then everyone afterwards, you walk outside and you call your dad. You're like, hey, dad, I just wanted to say hi. No, everything's fine. I just saw Frequency again for the fourth time. I love you, man. That kind of thing. No. Should we get to our picks? Let's get to our picks. All right. So what's, what's your first one?
1: All right. My first pick is a movie from 2010 that is available for rent on Google, iTunes, Vudu, the usual places. It is Beginners, which is from artist and filmmaker Mike Mills and is inspired by his own father, who, like Christopher Plummer's character Hal, came out at the age of 75 after the death of his wife and embarked on life as a, as a gay man and how is has passed away at the start of the film. And Oliver, his son played by Ewan McGregor is clearing out his house. And, and the story becomes this one of flashbacks about his relationship with his father in this late period in his life. And Oliver's romance with a, an actress played by the French actress, Melanie Laurent. And, how he is trying to struggle through his own kind of relationship and commitment issues to be with her, and I think that Christopher Plummer is so wonderful in this movie. And, but it's also, it's also such a great movie about these genera- generational differences and the way in which Hal really bravely dives into this life uh, so so late in his life. He really fully embraces. Uh, being gay including like his uh, that he gets involved with um pride movements he has movie nights with these you know he joins clubs he starts dating a much younger man who won't commit to him f- or like w- uh, won't commit to monogamy with him which is what he wants and he accepts that there's this real bravery to the way in which he is willing to put himself out there and i think that it makes for such an interesting contrast with the way oliver is portrayed as someone who, in you know, kind of indie artist fashion, he's an illustrator like Mike Mills, is not prone to to being sincere or open about his emotions. And I think there's one point where he notes that he and uh, Melanie Laurent's character feel this melancholy that their parents never did because their parents were so busy dealing with actual like actual difficulties, including the fact that his father couldn't you know be open about his sexuality or that his mother was given so much grief about being jewish uh and and i feel like the film really engages with that idea of of the ways in which you can i guess like hold yourself back no matter what the difficulties you have or freedoms that you think you have um and, and and there's something so lovely about the sequences with uh, Christopher Plummer and with Ian McGregor together because they, 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 ha- they are kind of unabashedly, they unabashedly love each other, but are also just neither of them particularly demonstrative. And Hal is becoming more demonstrative with this extra freedom in his life. Well, maybe you should take out a personal ad you know, where you can explain your situation. My situation? <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, you, you want to be in a relationship, and you can't stand one. that's your fatherly advice, personal ads well a lot of people use them. <clears throat> I did
1: what If Andy wasn't going to be monogamous, why should I be and you know rewatching this movie, I'd remembered it as being very cute, not in a problematic way, but it has an adorable dog named Arthur, Jack Russell, that is given subtitled dialogue sometimes. <laughs> uh, the, the the two characters in the romance, they meet at a at a Halloween party in which uh, Ewan McGregor's character is dressed as Freud and is giving people analysis. And uh, Melanie Laurent's character is dressed as Charlie Chaplin because she has laryngitis and cannot talk. And it's, it could be so twee, but... It's not because I think the characters are very aware of how, uh, like, they're older. They're older and kind of uh, a little more canny about their approach to falling in love and to about their own issues. Um, and I, there's a lot of genuine kind of grief and vulnerability underlying all of these whimsical touches that I think makes the movie hold up really well. I hadn't seen it since it opened in theaters and. Uh, it's it's really an unusual and very warm depiction of a father-son relationship and uh, the love story uh, it really worked for me as well so that was beginners and it is available for rent on all of the usual places
0: all right that's a really good pick i really like that movie as well my first pick is a movie that uh, i hadn't seen before anytime i can really you know i i try to use the whatever theme we pick as an excuse to catch up on something for some reason or another has fallen through the cracks for me so this week I watched for the first time Boys in the Hood, directed by John Singleton from 1991. It's the uh, story of a group of teenagers growing up in uh, South Central L.A. in the early 90s. It's mostly these three boys who live across the street from one another. On one side of the street, you have half-brothers. Ricky, played by Morris Chestnut. Doughboy, played by his Cube. And on the other side of the street, you have Trey, played by Cuba Gooding Jr., who lives with his dad, Furious, who's played by Lawrence Fishburne. And... You know, the movie is about sort of the larger life of a young black man in in South Central. But a lot of the best scenes in Boys in the Hood, I felt, were the ones that were between Trey and his dad. And Furious actually kind of seems to be the only father in the entire community that we see. Except, I guess, for Ricky, one of the other teenagers who's 17 and already has a son of his own. Uh, And I, I think that certainly is maybe one of the the messages of the movie uh, because really a huge part of it is the fact that without strong male role models, you know, this, this generation of young men is like sort of totally lost rather than showing that idea too didactically, you know, Singleton suggests it by creating this really strong bond between furious and Trey. And, you know, the dad can be kind of strict with his son like, the day he's dropped off to live there by his mom, he can't come inside until he, like, rakes the entire lawn. But he's also, you know, he really cares about his, his son, and there are some very lovely and kind of tender, like, surprisingly tender scenes between the two of them. There's this really nice scene where Trey asks his dad to cut his hair for him. It's getting a little long, and he needs it, like, trimmed up. And there's this long scene of, like, the dad cutting his son's hair, which... It's not something you see a lot in movies. You don't see, I don't know, like dads. Like, it's it's something very like intimate and sweet and unusual in any kind of movie that I could think of about like fathers and sons. It's just a very like interesting and sweet and small scene. And he gives him some great advice as well in, in other scenes, including uh, this early scene when Trey is still a young boy of like ten years old, where he like lays out the. Th- Furious's three rules for life. Oh, I got it. Always look a person in the eye. Do that to respect you better. Two was to never be afraid to ask you for anything. Stealing isn't necessary. And last one I think was: to never respect anybody who doesn't respect you back. That right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, you got it.
0: Uh, this was John Singleton's first movie as a director, and and. Honestly, at times it does feel like a, fir- a first film. I think some of the dialogue and really all of the music is way too heavy-handed. But for whatever you might find at fault with it, I think Boys in the Hood. What I took away from it is that it is a movie with some passion behind it. You know, it has a message about this place, these people, and it's so raw and it real. It feels like it's like ripped out of the creator's souls. And I don't know a ton about John Singleton's background or his relationship with his father, but just the idea that like uh, any filmmaker probably has a dad or can or doesn't have a dad and can relate to that, have that absence. And I don't know, there's just something that is something very universal about these films, at least for a guy, you know, having when we're talking about father and son movies, that I don't know, you can really relate to it even though the world of this film is so divorced from the one I grew up in. Um, I don't know I found something very powerful about about it and about particularly about the relationship between father and son and you know if I have a son someday I feel like this would be a good movie to watch with him you know when he was a teenager Um, because I think there's a lot to it that's beyond just well this is what South Central was like in the early 1990s I think that there's a core of something powerful about it about masculinity and manhood and you know growing up and fatherhood and All that sort of stuff. So I really liked it, and I definitely recommend If you haven't seen it, it's Boys in the Hood, and it is streaming now on Netflix.
1: All right. My next pick is also now streaming on Netflix. It is There Will Be Blood, Paul Thomas Anderson's epic about oil, about fatherhood, and about milkshakes. Milkshakes. Yeah, I was was hoping you'd say that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... HW Plainview who is the the boy that Daniel Plainview adopts after his father is killed in an accident early on uh in Daniel Plainview's oil days um oil oil drilling days is really the only kind of war, like tender like the window to tenderness or humanity in Daniel Plainview's life he is the only through him And through the scenes with him, like those are the only moments we ever see softness with Plainview. And it's he, you know, Plainview is such a fascinating character in particular because he dislikes humanity so much that the only ways in which he seems able to open to other people are by seeing them as, as extensions of himself. We never see Daniel Plainview in the movie express any, you know, particular sexual desire or desire for establishing his own family hw when he takes him up is a very convenient business uh business aspect for him as well because he gets to go places and declare himself a family man show himself to be harmless and trustworthy here's his adorable child but he does seem to genuinely come to care for the boy at least at least as long as he is a sort of a mini Daniel Plainview, right? In those early sequences when they're together, you see them hiking together or sitting together. He really looks like he's being raised in, in his adoptive father's mold, that he is like, that's what he's intended for and that's what Daniel loves him for. And then there's the accident and he's no longer, there's he can no longer be the new Daniel Plainview. He has been rendered deaf and that causes that, Terrible schism in which it, the schism that basically costs Daniel Plainview any humanity he has left. It's time to make a change.
0: This makes you my competitor.
1: No, no, it's not
0: like that. It is like that, boy. own company. Huh?
1: That's right. In Mexico. Yes, we're
0: making such a misstep. So what are you doing? I know you and I have disagreed over many things. I'd rather keep you as my father than my partner. Then say it. You've got something to say to me, then say it. I'd like to hear
1: you speak instead of your little dog. Woof 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 woof. I think what's so interesting about this particular father-son relationship is how it seems like this terrible exaggeration of this I want you to be like me. I don't want you know, don't want you to be like me, clash between fathers and sons that is, is much more typical. You know, when Plainview famously says, I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. That is also true for his son. He has, he has trouble looking at his child as anything other than competition as he grows up. And, uh, you know, and, and that's something we see towards the ending as he's effectively separated himself from the rest of the world. Um, I think, you know, this movie is such a complex portrait of this insane larger than life character, but those moments of sweetness with him where he's kind of cuddling, like cradling the child after or cradling HW after he was hurt are really, they, they really are kind of lovely and tender and they don't seem faked uh they they are there are moments where you actually believe Daniel Plainview to be more than just you know the essence of individualism uh, embodied and taken to this terrible extreme um, and you know Dylan Fraser uh who is the who plays HW Plainview as a child has this wonderful little somber face and i think a lot of the scenes of him uh really just like they they really seem like there's not acting going on um, when he, he first comes back from, from being sent off to a, or the, the scene in which he is sent off to school is just heartbreaking because he's so, it's such a betrayal. So I, you know, I, I feel like there are so many things to, to delve into in there will be blood and there it, it's such a rich movie, but the soul of it really is this father and son relationship and, and the way in which, in which he fails he fails to to be there for his son, I mean the great you know the scene in which he's humiliated ultimately by Eli Sunday, he, one of the things he's made to yell about is how he's abandoned his child um, and thats uh, like that is the great failing that he knows and recognizes in himself, and that is something that actually stings is he's made to to scream it out in front of the church um so I you know I think it's it's a terrific, terribly sad portrait of father and son but it's it's a great aspect of the movie that is there will be blood and it is currently available on netflix
0: okay my last pick uh kind of an obvious one not a movie i was seeing for the first time something i've seen many times before but i picked it because it was one of the first movies that came to mind when we decided on this theme and also because while i don't have kids if you ask me what i'm going to be like when i do have kids the character that i think i probably would pick is the dad from this movie even though this movie is about a bunch of fish uh that would be marlin from finding nemo from 2003 directed by andrew stanton and you can rent this movie currently at amazon and itunes and lots of other places uh i I would certainly predict at least allison and you can tell me because you know me pretty well after all these years we've been doing this coming up on 10 years i feel like i'm going to be a very crazed, super protective dad who's going to have trouble letting his kid out of his sight. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Um, sure. I, I think you'll probably, you know, have a
0: basement that you'll purchase <laughs> just so that you can lock children in. Well, that sounds a lot creepier than what I was going for, <laughs> but okay, fine. In the film, of course, Marlin's son, Nemo, is captured by scuba divers, and uh, he decides to set off on a quest to find him along with the help of this other fish a forgetful bluefish named Dory. Uh, There are a lot of great Pixar movies, of course. I think if you ask someone what the best or what their favorite is, I think there's at least half a dozen very respectable, very viable choices. I don't think there's any one right answer. But I tend to default to Finding Nemo because I feel like it's the total package. It's everything they do well in one movie. The beautiful, vibrant animation, the hilarious comedy, and that really powerful but very earned and genuine sentiment that doesn't feel forced or artificial and in terms of the father and some component in Finding Nemo I love the way the movie compares and contrasts Marlin and Nemo with the turtles crush and squirt the laid-back surfer turtles who have such a more hands-off approach to parenting and they don't make it they don't harp again they don't harp on it they don't make it too obvious I didn't really kind of even think about it until thinking about the movie and looking at it again in this context, that really that that's what they're so much there for, is that to provide that kind of counterpoint to the constantly worrying, constantly uh, constantly hands-on approach to parenting. Oh my goodness! Whoa, kill the motor, dude. Let us see what Squirt does flying solo. Did you, see what I see? you so totally rock, Squirt. To give me some fin, Noggin. Yeah. There aren't too many movies with perfect endings, even great movies. I think sometimes have so-so endings, underwhelming endings. But I would, I would put forth that the ending of Finding Nemo is perfect. the, the, the just the very last scene just always gets me choked up, and I'm not even a father, and it gets me incredibly emotional and choked up. And so I kind of watch this movie as like preventive therapy for like the in anticipation of the day when it might happen, you know, having kids someday. That hopefully I will try to keep this in mind and maybe not be quite so uptight. Still very uptight, but slightly less uptight. Uh, so I'm guessing most people have seen Finding Nemo, but on the off chance you haven't. Very, very highest possible recommendation from me for that one. And you can rent it on Amazon and iTunes and various other. Online rental sites.
1: When I look in my, eyes, my, eyes. my eyes, when I look in my, eyes, my, eyes. my eyes,
0: Allison, we're very excited to have a new sponsor on the show this week. It is Harry's. For many of us, and I'm speaking for myself here, Allison, shaving is a real pain. It's uncomfortable. It's uh, it causes nicks, cuts, scrapes, and not only that, razor blades. It, I'm telling you this because you don't have you don't have this problem quite as much as I do, Allison. They're very expensive, and I, I've actually said this to people before, as a joke. It, you know, if I was a if I was a member of the X-Men, if I you know you have to have a mutant power. I've said there's a few possibilities for me. I feel like taking a really solid three-and-a-half-hour nap would be one of mine. And then the other one would be the ability to always cut myself shaving, no matter what I do. Just incredibly bad at shaving. I inherited it from my grandfather. He was a terrible shaver. He always had nicks and cuts all over his face. It runs in my family. But anyway, for guys like me, enter Harry's. It was started by two guys who wanted a better product without paying an arm and a leg to get it. Harry's razors offer a high-quality shave that's better for your face and for your wallet. Harry's makes their own blades and they're about half the price of the other big branded blades and they ship for free to your front door. The starter set is a great deal for 15 bucks you get a razor, a moisturizing shave cream and three razor blades. So why pay $32 for an 8 pack of blades when it's half the price at Harry's? For a clean, close, comfortable shave go to harrys.com that's h a r r y s Use the offer code SVU, that's the letters S, V, and U, to get $5 off your first purchase. That's harrys.com and the promo code SVU. And we thank Harry's for their support of film spotting SVU. Who's
1: that then? My mum. What? I'm just saying. Nice photo, is it? How's yours? Hmm? Your mum, must be a bit worried about you.
0: Mum, no, I ain't got one. Go. Thanks. For
1: what, love? For the tea,
0: ain't yeah. All right, now let's go to our listener's choice review. On every episode of Film Spotting SVU, we give you guys three options to choose from to determine the next episode's main review. And on SVU number 67, the options were Kelly Reichert's Night Moves, the British prison drama starred up, and the new documentary The Dog. And frankly, The Dog was the dog of the group. It garnered only about 8% of the vote, but it really came down to the wire between the other two options. With Stardup narrowly beating out night moves 47 to 44%. Startup is the latest film from director David Mackenzie, who previously made Young Adam and Perfect Sense with Ewan McGregor and a few other films. It stars Jack O'Connell as Eric Love, a 19-year-old convict who's been deemed so dangerous he's getting incarcerated in an adult jail. That's what the title Starred Up refers to. Juvenile delinquents get promoted to the big house. They use that term, starred up. So once he's there in, in, the, in the jail, he acclimates to his new environment. And then he discovers that his father, played by Ben Mendelsohn, is locked up in the same prison as well. And meanwhile, a volunteer therapist, played by Rupert Friend, uh, takes a liking to Eric. And he tries to work around the prison bureaucracy to have him added to the support group he holds to kind of help the prisoners deal with their anger. Allison, as I think I've said every time I've described it on the show, Starred Up is a British Prison drama, right? It was shot in former prisons in Belfast and Lisburn, and it was based on the screenwriter Jonathan Azar's own experiences working as a volunteer therapist, like the one in the movie at a prison near London. And you have all these characters, these British characters, speaking with these thick working class accents, they have tons of slang. So my first question to you, Allison, is what percentage of the dialogue would you say you understood and even more importantly, how did the amount you did or did not understand affect your enjoyment of the movie?
1: Mm, I, I would say I understood about, I, I'll put it at 80%. 80%, um, okay. Yeah, I think that, I I don't know, I've never, my grandparents also have thick working class right, British accents. Right, right, you have uh, an advantage. I, I, you know, um, I think also just, it takes a little while to settle into that, but then I usually can pick it up but there was a lot of slang in this and so what i did afterwards was uh when i first saw the film was look up um someone's amateur subtitles Uh uh-huh which there are online or of like many many movies and then just looked at the uh, the transcription of the dialogue so that cleared up a lot of other things for me but yeah it's definitely it's one of those movies as sometimes ken loach movies are accused uh and i don't know train spotting for some people where you have to really focus for a while to to get into the flow of the dialogue uh well how about you did you have trouble understanding this
0: yeah i, I yeah i i did i would i would 80 percent was is way beyond me i would have guessed at best maybe 50 wow maybe 50 Maybe a little less. I don't know. I was really straining, I have to tell you. And I was, and you're right. It does make you pay attention, which is a good thing. You know, you can't be looking at your phone. You can't be distracted. You really have to be focused. But even though I was totally focused and really into it, I was still, I don't know. I don't know if it was. I don't know, the TV I was watching, maybe the dialogue was kind of muffled, but I uh, or something, the sound quality of my speaker system just wasn't up to snuff, but it, I just really was kind of struggling to make it out, and did in terms of how much it affected, I'd say to a certain extent. I mean, the movie has a very, although it's not very flashy, it is very much focused on visual storytelling, and a lot of scenes kind of proceed without a lot of dialogue, which are fascinating, like when Eric, first arrives and he's going through this process of you know kind of being uh inserted into the jail and they have to you know he has to take off his clothes and they do the cavity search and and he goes into his cell and then he like makes the he makes his like emergency prison shiv that he and then how do you hide it and you see him like creating a wrench and all these like little step-by-step kind of almost Soderberghian process type stuff And all that is without dialogue, and it's just watching with these very simple focus shots. Like, all that stuff, I think, is great. But as it goes on, it becomes a little bit more dialogue-driven. And I did have trouble following some of it. And I did—honestly, I almost had trouble following, like, some of the relationships between the characters at times, to be honest with you, because their their accents and the slang was so thick. And so, yeah, I think to some extent you could argue that it— it's to the movie's advantage in some ways because i think it f- comes off as very authentic it comes off as not catering to a, a you know an, an audience of dummies like me you know it doesn't dumb anything down it doesn't have a character explaining what anything is or what these people are saying or what's happening and you know it almost puts you as the you know the character in the prison who doesn't know what's happening and you have to get acclimated but on the other hand, I wouldn't have minded being able to follow just a little bit more. And I feel like if I had had the option to watch with subtitles, which I didn't, the version I had did not have subtitles. If I had had that option, I might have used it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I you know, adding to that aspect of the movie, it also drops you into this world, as you said, yes. in which uh, Eric Love, the main character, and I, I really like that that's his name, that given the treatment that he receives in general, the fact that a lot of people are like... Hey, love, come over here. Mm There's like this weird accidental fondness to it, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that he's dropped into this adult prison with all of its different loyalties and different uh, power structures and different rules, including ones with the guards Mm -hmm. uh, that he has to figure out or not. Uh, You know, it the movie doesn't go out of its way to help you pick those up. Right, you know, like the fact that there is uh, basically a shot caller, this guy who is running everything and making money off of all of these different exchanges and doesn't like having a new violent addition to the wing is something that takes a little while to understand, I think. Um, And to kind of understand exactly what that, who that guy is and why he gets involved at all. Uh, And I think even the, the relationship between Eric and Neville, his father, it you it takes a moment to sink in exactly yes. what that is, and it took a couple
0: of moments for me yeah
1: well, and then I, I, and then, when you understand exactly how little time they've spent with one another, right, I think then that kind of changes your perception again mm-hmm. but it's uh, i well, I mean, I guess that so what did you think of that aspect of it as a father and
0: son story? I thought that was a really strong part of it because it was an unusual relationship that i don't think I had seen um. On screen before the you know the the, this criminal who has been so out of his son's life and then is so focused on him doing good and is and wants him to you know and wants him to behave and get out of prison and do do the right thing and you know he becomes kind of involved in getting him into that group that support group but then also he undermines a, him undermines a lot. him yes. as well. Yeah, because and it, it it's a he, I really found him to be a fascinating character because he loves his son and he wants him to not turn out like him, but all of his instincts are are He wants th- to
1: fight him as much as he wants to kind of father. Sure. Him. Yeah. And and
0: and he doesn't really know how to be a good father and doesn't know how to know how to really be a good human being. He's like a lifelong criminal who's a, you know, vicious and sadistic. And so and he has this hair trigger temper too. So even if he wants to help sometimes he's like incapable of it because he just is not capable of anything sometimes, but rage and violence. I thought
1: this was a great movie about violence, about it as a kind of helpless tick as this thing that these, these characters, these men can't help, but give into And even if they don't want to, and it really hammers in how much, how difficult it can be to, to stop those impulses. I think, you know, you have one, this father and son relationship in these two characters who are, and you see exactly why have been like much more used to having to fight than they have to try and open up or to trust someone else. But I think the, the sequences in the, the group, the group therapy are also really in, in ways that are sometimes really tender about this, about trying to, be a better person or be like a less violent, more open person uh, with these guys who have clearly led very difficult, violent lives.
0: Right. And they're, and they're all there for the right reasons now. Like they're trying to improve themselves, but it's like it's, it's against their nature almost like they're fighting against themselves as much as they're fighting against each other. And I agree. Like that is absolutely one of the most uh, interesting parts about it. And, and and that does tie back into the relationship between Eric and Neville and how he is sort of, he's like, he wants to sort of be in the group, but also he hates the people in the group because of some of his like prejudices and, and things like that. And yeah, it's a, it's a very intricately created sort of like miniature universe, you know, and it, and it feels so authentic and, and it. it and it's really interesting to be in that world. I just kind of wished I could kind of follow what was happening, some of the finer points yeah. a little bit better. I found something kind of rewarding about that as well. And I think Jack O'Connell is just like this incredible physical presence yeah, like he's he has amazing. this incredible charisma like I had you read at the beginning of the of the of the podcast reading that line about like smoldering and just like all of all of the guys in this movie the way that they look at each other with the, this intensity. Just like I can't remember the last movie that had so much just like intense where you stare someone down yeah so many times where it's just about men staring each other down yeah
1: well you know i the whole theme about violence i think is articulated so well in that early scene where eric hurts someone who really didn't intend to do him harm yes and that there's this really terrific sequence in which he does this thing and instantly realizes what he's done and wants to make it right as much as possible, but also understands that only terrible consequences are coming that he can't stop. Right, and it's this it's this incredibly tense sequence that it does feel very unique, in that even if there is a, a sequence towards the end where it recalls Bronson a little, the this yeah. uh, winding reference film, but it, it, I mean this it, there's nothing stylized about this uh, prison. It's very it's very gritty and very physical. So, I mean, do you did you go back and like rewatch some of these scenes, or did you just watch it straight through and be like, "This is, I am going to get what I can get from
0: this"? I just watched it. Well, I, I you know I would watch it again. Like, I would want to watch it again with a, a copy with subtitles. I only watched it once. Um, I didn't rewatch it again, um, but I felt like I got most of it out of it. I don't. I mean, I don't know how much more, honestly. In some ways, that uh, because they the dialogue is sometimes so spare. Like, I feel like some of the intricacies are just things that I maybe either wasn't supposed to know or are not as easy to get, like of the, the bureaucracy of the prison and who in the prison is like in league with who and who in the upper, like, you know, within the the administration is at war with who in the prison population. And maybe I was just too used to Orange is the New Black where everything is very clear and you can really kind of sink your teeth into the 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 wars between the two factions and – in this movie, which is, you know, only like 100 minutes, and it, it's so focused, really, on Eric and Neville, really, that I almost, you know, I, 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 I maybe felt like there could have been a little bit more about the administration, the bureaucracy, and also about the the character of the therapist, who is sort of a very important character, but we never see him outside, you know, the whole movie is set in the prison. We never right. see him outside the prison. They talk a little bit about why he's there and where he comes from, and I, and, and that was dialogue I was able to follow. He has one of the least... Um, he well, he's posh. He's posh, so his <laughs> accent I can follow, right? Exactly, thank you. So you know his backstory I got, but I I I actually thought he you know he's still a really interesting character that I could have used more of. And then towards the end of the movie, I was sort of of two minds about. The ending, which I won't spoil, but just like some of that the last sequence, some of the events of the last sequence, I found preposterous and yes. nonsensical. Agreed. I,
1: it does, but yes,
0: I loved the, the sort of the, the Denouement, the last scene. I thought was incredibly powerful. So I was sort of of a, of two two minds about that stuff.
1: Yeah, I I agree about the ending. It does. It seems to fall into much more typical prison movie, yeah, uh, and behavior like, and movieish. To, yes, big exactly. And to kind ridiculous. of ridiculous bring itself to the end. Yeah, I actually was really glad there wasn't more of the therapist. Though, because okay. I feel like there's a much less interesting movie, like a to dangerous mind, exactly type thing. Yeah. about this noble, if like also you know with his dark with a dark side himself therapist who's going out there and trying to help these men, and I feel like you understood that he was sincere in this, and also that it was very difficult, but that I didn't need more than that. It's a totally that's yeah. a
0: totally fair point. My I guess, my my one response to that would be he's kind of in this this. Area between there like there's there's almost either they should have taken less out like it was in a weird space where i wanted either less of him or more of him where he is i felt like i needed more but they maybe could have taken even even more of him out and then i wouldn't have felt like there was quite as much there was as much missing yeah
1: okay i can do that well okay before we we close up i do want to ask jack o'connell I mean, he's in this movie, he's in a movie called 71 that was playing at Toronto that's gotten a lot of acclaim and is mm-hmm. going to be at the New York Film Festival, and he is set to be the star of Angelina Jolie's upcoming movie, the one she directed, right. Unbroken. Uh, do you think he's, is he destined to be a star?
0: I'd say, I don't know, destined, but I could I could see it, absolutely, because he definitely has a presence on screen and he is magnetic. And like I said, this is a movie where I said, I, I admittedly said I didn't really follow half the dialogue, but I was very rarely, you know, even if I was never bored, but I, I was just so fixated on him. And he, you know, even when I couldn't quite make out what was the, the finer points of a scene, you know, he, he really commands your attention and he is, You know, and he's working like Ben Mendelsohn is a great actor, too. So he's going up against a heavy hitter here playing his dad. And and I thought that that he really held his own in their scenes together. And, you know, he has this thing where he really manages to capture both sides of this character who, you know, I, I don't know if he's a victim necessarily. That's kind of hard to say because we never see his life outside of the prison. But you have sort of a sympathy for him. Like, like the scene you mentioned earlier where the guy comes into his cell and he sort of beats him up accidentally. Like that's a – you just wonder like what was his life before this like in previous prisons and also outside of prison that his reflex when someone comes near him when he's sleeping is to beat the crap out of them. Like that's right. not something you just instinctually do. That's a learned behavior. And, and so you – and you feel that about him. You feel that sort of that – I don't know about sweetness but just that sort of sensitivity that's kind of – he's like burying. And he's bearing it with very convincing, intense physicality. So he has all of it. And so, you know, will he definitely be a star? That's probably not something we can know. But does he have the raw materials to become a star? Yes, I would say he does.
1: Yeah, I, he reminded me a little of, there's a, like, of Tom Hardy and Matthias Schoenartz, the guy who's in, uh, yes. Yeah, you know, both of them. From Bullhead. Like, they have, like, this drop. kind of, this very, like, physical presence, even though, like, Uh, Jack O'Connell talks a lot more than I think both of those actors tend to in their roles, you know, but they're I think they all have this very like this physicality to them that I it's kind of cool to see in this group of actors because uh, it doesn't I don't feel like there's been a group of actors coming up who've who've been able to take those kind of roles very believably uh, and kind of inhabit those types of characters in the same way. So, you know, I, I, I thought he was great in this and yes, agreed there's no way to tell what's next, but I'm excited to see him in a major role, I like guess. Yeah, this. like,
0: yeah, that's, an and, and you know, that Angelina Jolie movie, which supposedly is uh, perhaps an Oscar movie, you know, it looks potentially kind of, uh, it looks like it could be great, but it also looks like it could be a little kind of important in little, the way a that... A little shiny. A little shiny, but the fact that it's him in the lead role instantly gives it a bit more credibility with me, Is I'd like to see him in that part, so... So, yeah, so yeah I'd say I'd say I liked it. you know I, I, like if I was going to watch it again, I would watch it with subtitles. If I was recommending it to someone, I would recommend if subtitles are available, you use them, But with that caveat, I think it's a really good movie.
1: I do too. So that is starred up, and it is currently
0: available for rent and on demand. All right, now's the newest segment on our show, the As Yet Unnamed, although we like this one suggestion we have here. We're going to try this one out. This is the part where uh, we, but usually Allison, because she's much more diligent about seeing uh, newer films, current in theaters, just runs down what is currently playing at a theater near you, and since Allison just got back from the Toronto Film Festival, she's going to actually talk about that very briefly for the most part here. Uh, but this was the suggestion from Jeremy in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. He calls. He says, "I think the only appropriate name for a short segment on a podcast have an equally short and to the point name." So I present Singer and Wilmore's completely concise and totally succinct new release roundup. I uh, like it. I like, I like it too. Like it. So Allison, uh, we'll we'll keep that in mind. Thank you, Jeremy. Great suggestion. Uh, let's 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 hear what you got. What well, give me like uh, you know? Well, first of all. One of the big new releases this week was The Drop. You saw that in Toronto. I did. Good, bad,
1: indifferent? I think it's got good performances. It's got a Tom Hardy. It actually stars Tom Hardy and Matthias Schoenart, who I mentioned Speaking at the of end which. of the last. Um, it's got a great, great Tom Hardy performance. And it's got a slightly weird Matthias Schoenart's performance. Because How's the dog? The dog is amazing. Okay, And good. Tom Hardy cuddles the dog a lot oh. of the movie, which is oh. like, yes, you're like, let's break the internet's hearts, please. <laughs> um, it's, I don't it's like an, it's just a kind of dour crime movie like it it has as many people pointed out a Brooklyn that looks more like Boston right and it's just one of those movies in which there's grimness all around It mm-hmm. also features a performance one of the last performances from the late James Gandolfini
0: right. I think it's the last thing he finished right? yeah
1: and he's you know very good as always in the kind of role that he could kind of sleepwalk through I don't, there's nothing particularly special about it other than the fact that it's got such a great cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a pretty rote crime movie, otherwise. In terms of other stuff I saw, you know, Toronto is a place where people unveil their Oscar hopes or uh, their Oscar hopefuls. And of those sorts of movies, you have Imitation Game with Benedict Cumberbatch and the theory of everything with Eddie Redmayne. Right. These are like two big glossy the biopics, biopics right? about geniuses. Right. Yes. And they're both good. They're yes. both totally solid. They both have two very good uh, lead performances. Which one is better?
0: I think a the theory of everything's a little better. That's the Stephen Hawking one. Yes. Who's, directed- who's more likely to be nominated for an Oscar? I think they're both definitely going to be nominated. Who's going to be considered the favorite to win the
1: Oscar? Tough call because Benedict Cumberbatch, more famous. Right. And also, just very good at press in the whole game. Yes, but Eddie Redmayne like shows someone physically you know, like supposedly he's very convincing. Growing as, as ALS, Hawking. yes, yeah. growing motor neural, neural disorder, and right. so he is physically incredibly convincing in that, okay. and he's he's just really good. So
0: for what they are, they're good.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, pleasant surprise, wild. Which is not a, yes, not a movie I had really expected to like. Right. I actually really liked. It's another not, kind of
0: uh. It's a memoir. Biopic, based on a memoir, right? yeah. yeah.
1: It's about a woman who walks the Pacific Coast trail to get over, you know As you do. Yes. Grief and whatever. It's it sounded a little Eat Pray Love ish. It's <laughs> not at all. It's not at all. Yeah.
0: Having just watched Eat Pray Love last week, I Ooh. can't stop shivering. Yeah.
1: There's not it's not a lot of self affirmation. It's more just kind of She's trying to get over the death of her mother and the, just like her grief over the, the, it. And it's a the lot resurgence,
0: of just, the resurgence yes. is it's underway. A, it's a
1: lot of just like she's trying to walk off her grief.
0: Oscar, Oscar nomination there?
1: Yes, though it's not as showy a performance as, say, those two biopics. Okay. Right. But it's very good.
0: All right. One more. Is there one more that uh, you want to mention?
1: Yes. Uh, Phoenix, I would say, um, which is the new Christian Petzold film. Uh surprisingly it's not going to be the German Oscar submission. It's fantastic. It's a movie about, it's like a world war II drama by way of vertigo. And it's about a woman who comes back to Germany from the camps and she has had a face. She was shot in the face. So they had to reconstruct her face, but she doesn't look exactly the way she used to. Uh-huh. And she goes to find her husband who may or may not have betrayed her. Ooh. And he doesn't recognize her but he thinks she looks enough like his wife that maybe he can recruit her to help him get his wife's money. Aha. And it's just this fascinating, yeah, dark Yeah, that sounds film, pretty good. And it's got a great lead performance. Fact, uh, that I
0: saw got a lot of great r- yeah, reviews. it's really good. And is that opening
1: this year? Do we know? It just got picked up by, I think IFC films or Sundance select. So okay. I don't know when they'll pick it up, but it, it is. It coming will out. It will come out. Yes. And, and, and that's, one, called that's called Phoenix. Phoenix and okay. I, I will, one more that I'll give a shout out to, um, nightcrawler the jake gyllenhaal movie yes. in which he is a tv freelance tv journalist filming accidents and things is actually really good he, he got all skinny this was he his, all like skinny. he's trying for an oscar too he, he's a little um he plays kind of he's a little too old for this but he plays like a monstrous millennial basically all right. he does is speak in terms of like how to get hired manuals and uh, seemingly is completely moral moral free and uh is, it's actually a really good role. It, it's that got good reviews, too, and that yeah. looked like it could go either way, but it seemed to be well-received. I would say it, it, it kind of, I, you know, not even speaking to quality so much as theme here, it's somewhere between uh, Bringing Out the Dead and uh, Network. So that's an interesting an combo. It's an intriguing combination.
0: I am yeah, looking forward to and seeing I, that I was one. a fan of that. So. All right, so it yeah. sounds like some good movies to look forward to. Definitely. So thank you, Allison, for that installment of Singer and Wilmore's completely concise and totally succinct new release roundup. I was It was very enjoyable for me, especially because I didn't have to say anything. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to uh, Behind the Eight Ball. We close out the show each episode with uh, three new recommendations that are new to streaming, two listener recommendations that were sent in by you guys, and one random film from our My Lists. Uh, do you want me to go first, Allison, since you just did all that sure. uh, spieling for the Toronto Film Festival? Absolutely. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, well, three new picks. All right. I don't know if you know this about me, Allison, but there's a few things I hate in this world. And, like, on the top of the list, like, in the top five, boats. I'm they, not necessarily phobic. I didn't did know not that. I know this. I'm I not really phobic. I'll up. get on a boat. You know, if I've got to take a ferry to get to an island, I'll take a boat. But I don't like them. They're dangerous. They're nauseating. They're just, they're just not good. Boats, boats stink. And I feel like Exhibit A in the case against boats is All is Lost, a superbly austere drama starring Robert Redford as an unnamed man, basically the only person on screen for the entire film, whose boat, he's boating out in the Indian Ocean somewhere. The boat springs a leak. It has this collision with a shipping container and tries, he might, to fix the hole. Things just keep getting worse. As he's repairing it, he gets caught in a tropical storm. Just bigger problems mount one on top of the other. Uh it, you know, if you like startup and the sort of the the sort of visual aspect of it, where they're telling a story without dialogue, at least in the beginning parts of that movie, that's like the entire movie mm. of All Is Lost. There's almost no dialogue. There's a little bit of voiceover. If you're a fan of that kind of very simple, focused visual storytelling, and you don't get seasick easily, this is a this is a movie for you. Is really one of the better, interesting movies of last year. I thought the ending of this movie very powerful. So. Absolutely worth checking out. That's new on Netflix. All is lost. But just a reminder, boats suck. All right. Next up, also streaming now on Netflix, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure with uh, Rufus, a.k.a. George Carlin, arriving via time-traveling phone booth. Remember phone booths, Allison? They used to be a thing Yeah. Uh, from the year 2688. Apparently they have phone booths still in 2688. They have time travel, but they still use phone booths, I guess. I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird movie. But of course you have Bill S. Preston Esquire, played by Alex Winter, and Ted Theodore Logan, played by Keanu Reeves. They need to get a passing grade on their final history report or one of them will be going to military school and the future of humanity will be (laughs) ruined. I really enjoyed this movie as a kid, Allison, and I hadn't seen it in maybe 20 years and when I saw that it was on uh, Netflix, I wanted to take a look, and I didn't have time to watch the whole thing. But the first thirty minutes, really, I thought were pretty good. I have to say, I thought it held up pretty well as a cheesy teen comedy, has a little bit of a subversive edge, very sweet, very quirky, and who doesn't like talking like Keanu Reeves and 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 Alex Winter in this movie? Come on, I can't. I mean, I'm, I'm I can only imagine how annoying I was to listen to in the months after I saw this, and probably said "excellent, bogus" <laughs> over and over again. Oh, I feel so bad for my parents. Anyway, Bill & Ted's Excellent Adventure, that's streaming now on Netflix. And finally, uh, a movie we uh, I have previously mentioned on the show in our opening break segment. Uh, I think it was back on film Spotting SVU number 62. But now the documentary The Final Member is streaming on Netflix as well. And it's a film about the Icelandic Phallological Museum. It's the world's largest collection of animal penises. And according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, the museum houses 280 specimens from 93 species. Uh, but there's, there's, for many years, there's just been the one penis that eluded the museum, Allison. Of course, the human penis. The most dangerous penis. The most dangerous <laughs> penis, exactly. And the film is about the museum's quest, the owner of the museum's quest, to secure a human specimen. And also these two men who kind of get into, like, a bizarre competition to be the first donor. And it sounds silly, and at times it is actually pretty silly, but there's actually a surprisingly touching side to this movie. It is also about dreams and and achievement and, and mortality, too, because one of these guys is, well, actually several of the characters are kind of approaching the end of their life, and they want to leave something behind. And even if that something seems silly and crazy and ridiculous to us, there can be something kind of deep and profound about that, that that, that this need to leave a mark on the world as something I responded to in this film, amongst also the, the penis jokes, which I enjoyed as well. So that's the final member, and that's streaming on Netflix.
1: Okay, two listener recommendations.
0: All right, first up, we have a recommendation from Jason A. Jason writes, I recently saw About Time with Brendan Gleeson's son, Dom Hall Gleeson. I must say I was quite impressed with this film. It's nothing too provocative or groundbreaking, but it definitely shows that Dom Hall is a force to be reckoned with, pun intended, since he will be in the new Star Wars Episode seven as well. I was honestly pleasantly surprised, as I was not expecting much and had no expectations before watching it. My wife put it on the DVR one night, and I had no idea that I would like it so much. It is easily the best Rachel McAdams time travel film and she actually has a couple of those, and Bill Nye racks up yet another solid performance. Although the foundation of the film could be interpreted as a rom-com, the underlying thought-provoking messages quickly extinguish that sort of label. It is hilarious, sad, superbly acted, and dare I say, another pun, time-length appropriate. So that's about time, which you can rent on various sites. I haven't seen that one, I haven't Did either, you? and I've heard really good things about it. I've heard some mixed things, but some people really liked it as well. I feel like,
1: you know, it's being held up in that, like... This is one of those movies that does commercial kind of romantic qualities well.
0: Right. And it's from Richard Curtis, who's like, you know, the king of those, right? Four Weddings and Notting Hill and on and on. Love Actually, right? That's him as well. I think that's his, yes. Okay. And finally, we got this very nice email here from Rob. Rob, uh, actually, I don't know if he meant this as a recommendation, but we wanted to read it because it's such a nice email. So we're going we're gonna to use it as a rec- recommendation as well. He says, Hi, Matt and Allison. It's long past due. I wrote saying thanks for the great podcast and recommendations. I live in the part of the world where I don't have access to most of the platforms you talk about, but still try to track down the film and TV you talk about when I can. I recently watched Short Term 12, having heard Matt talk about it so many times. And I had to check it out. And wow, I'm currently doing my master's in social work. And when assignments come around, sometimes the doubt begins to creep in as I wonder if I'm doing the right thing. This film literally inspired me to finish an essay and renewed my passion to complete my degree. Thanks for promoting yet another incredible film. And I wouldn't have seen it if not for you and for Film Spotting Original Recipe. Keep up the good work. And so that's from Rob. And Short Term 12 is currently streaming on Netflix. I think you can rent it as well. So that's nice. It's always nice to hear when, uh, you know, you recommend something and people really take it to heart. That's great. So thank you, Rob. Thanks for the email. Rob, he says he's an Aussie living in Thailand. So good luck, Rob. Good luck with the degree and thanks for writing in. Okay, one from your my list. You gave me number 89 and this time number 89 is Slacker, Richard Linklater's debut feature about eccentrics and misfits and weirdos living and wandering through Austin, Texas. I've certainly seen it before. I've probably seen it I don't know, two or three times maybe, but I think when it was added to Netflix a while ago, it's been on there a while now, but I, when I saw it pop up, I added it just in case. You never know when you're going to need a fix of stoners talking about conspiracy theories, so I have it on there. All right, Allison, are you ready to uh, run through your picks? I'm ready. All right, let's start with three new titles.
1: Okay, first up, new to Netflix is Filth, based on the novel by Trainspotting's Irvine Welsh. It's basically a showcase for James McAvoy to go dark, as a manipulative, hard drinking, drug abusing, sex having, unstable cop, it feels very '90s throwback about this sort of movie. But I think that you know James McAvoy, who is often either playing young Professor Xavier or playing some kind of uh, fawn type thing in the Narnia movies, he generally gives off a a harmless vibe. Or and the idea of him going dark is is and it's always an interesting one to see an actor go for that. So that is Phil. It is newly available on Netflix. New to Fandor is a movie that I've been kind of trying to gird myself up to watch. I feel like, in the, in the debate about which movies are better seen on screen, sometimes there's a certain type of film that might be a little easier seen on screen. But I, I still want to give this one a try. It is Manakamana, which is a film that is produced by Lucian casting Taylor and Verena Paravel, who, are the directors of Leviathan and Lucien Cushing Taylor was one of the directors of Sweet Grass both non-narrative films that were kind of observational and about you know in one case about a fishing boat and the other case about herding sheep and this film is also uh, a non-narrative film it is filmed entirely inside a cable car going up a mountain in Nepal to a temple Uh, this used to be a multi-day trek up this mountain that pilgrims would do to go to this temple but now they built a cable car and it takes 10 minutes and so the movie is made up of 11 rides up the mountain with 11 different groups of people uh they're all a fixed shot of the people as it goes up the mountain so each one is about 10 minutes and it offers this look at you know the various sorts of people and the relationships they have as they go to this temple you know, movies like this, I think this should be a name for this type of documentary, a subcategory.
0: But Movies about people taking cable cars to I was going to say
1: more like the non-narrative, semi-experimental, no, I like immersive documentary. But I like yes, that's a pretty small niche, but I'm sure uh, you worked at Kim's Video. You'd be video, surprised. You worked You'd at Kim's surprised. Video. Which we, was, <laughs> we did have a whole section of those. Uh, but that is Mana Kamana, which is available for streaming on Fandor. And it's one that I've heard a lot of praise of. And was inspired by the Muppets song. Uh, Probably. Um, But people have been very fond of this movie. So give it a try. Finally. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. um, uh, Streaming on Netflix is Agnes Varda from Here to There, which is a five-part French miniseries from 2011. This is actually the most recent thing that Varda, who is now 86 years old, has directed. You know, as one of the great French directors, uh, she's slowing down a little. But this was kind of her follow up for um, from the beaches of Agnes. Uh, but this is—it's basically an excuse to spend time in her company. She's very charming, uh, and the the, ba- the point of the miniseries is just that she travels—you know—ostensibly to these different art events or cinema events, but mostly to visit friends. And including among the friends she visits are Manuel de Oliveira, Claire Denis, Vim Vendors, and the late Chris Marker. And they all appear in different sequences in, in the show. So, you know, it's, it's light, but uh, one a glimpse of one of the great French directors and also several other directors talking about film and art. So that's Agnes Varda from Here to There on Netflix.
0: All right. How about two listener recommendations?
1: Okay. First up, we have one from Stephen from Provo, from Provo, Utah who writes amazon prime is a fantastic streaming service in fact it is only 50 dollars a year for anyone with an edu address which is not something i knew so if you have an edu address you should probably take advantage of that mm-hmm. um, they recently added several selections from hbo i would like to highly recommend two of their recent additions first is the late shift the 1995 hbo movie about the war for, <laughs> oh, t- man. for the tonight show <laughs>
0: This is awesome. Have you ever seen that? I have not. Oh, it's great.
1: With Kathy Bates, yep. Treat Williams, and yep. John Michael Higgins as David Letterman. Mm-hmm. Secondly, Christopher Guest's television series Family Tree, which I have seen, Chris O'Dowd is a charming protagonist. It contains appearances from several guest regulars and a hilarious performance by Nina Conti as O'Dowd's sister with a dependence on a monkey puppet, which is, she's a ventriloquist and she's very funny.
0: I'm oh, yeah. um, truly
1: a pity we won't be sh- seeing any more of the show. But uh, those are two that you can check
0: out on Amazon streaming. I had no idea The Late Shift was was on Amazon. I haven't seen this movie since uh, I was, you know, since it was on HBO in 1995. I can't wait. I used to watch it over and over again. John Michael Higgins as Letterman was so it's not very good, but I just for some reason I just love that movie.
1: <laughs> All right, well there you go. I'm so excited. a double recommendation. I'm So excited. Um, and second recommendation is from Gary, who writes, "I am torn as I have two streaming suggestions. So I guess I will list them both." you can pick one no gary we we are picking both the first is all cheerleaders die which is currently streaming on netflix this is a really fun film that does a great job of marrying the elements of a high school drama and horror into something wonderful i really want people to see this movie as an ending hints at a possible sequel which i desperately want to happen the second film is Cheap Thrills, which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. This is a deeply dark movie about the lengths that desperate people will go to in these hard economic times. The movie has a great performance from David Kochner, unlike anything I have ever seen before with one of the bleakest endings. So two more recommendations there, um, both one on Netflix and one on Amazon Prime. Thank well, you,
0: Gary. All right, and one random film from your my list. Are
1: you give me number seventeen, which is Old Boy, the Spike Lee one, not I'm the sorry. original. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. I put it on there. I feel bad. No, I'm actually. I you know I don't know when I'm going to get around to seeing it, but I am curious. It's such a strange film for Spike Lee to pick to remake. And not a good one either. No, I don't think it's a good film for anyone to remake oh, really when you have I meant a, the remake is bad. I I sure it is bad, but I feel like it's also not a good film to remake because it's so dependent on certain twists that just running through them, you can't really change them. Well, I
0: yeah. But yeah. you can't
1: really just run through them again. All that does right. is, you know,
0: it's boring. Make
1: you think you should watch the right. original. And maybe,
0: maybe by, uh, because of that, it might play better for someone who hasn't seen the original. I yeah. also thought making it a musical comedy was a strange yeah, choice. Yeah. But... And all those
1: animated sequences. I right, missed that part up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, I will get around to seeing this someday just because it's such an odd, combination of original like original movie and director well, but i know no one who is been willing to go to bat for this i so think if you all are... sites
0: kind of liked it oh really yes i think he wrote a positive review mildly positive out. mildly positive take a look yeah take a look all right but yeah let us know when you see it because i can't wait to hear what you think all right it's time for our listeners choice options for our next episode as allison already mentioned you know it's mid-september we're running out of time. The sands are ticking through the hourglass here. We're, we got to see these movies before the end of the year. So it's time to start. We've we got to make sure we see these movies before the end of the year. So we've got a bunch of movies, some of which we've already mentioned on the show, that we want to catch up with. And one of them we definitely will on our next episode. Allison, you have the first one. What is it?
1: Yeah, the first one I've actually spoken about in an earlier segment. It's Ida. The film from Pavel Pavlikovsky, which is, uh, you know, about the girl who finds out that she is Jewish and goes to look, find out what happens to her parents. And, you know, this is one we're both going to watch anyway. But I, I, I've heard so many good things about it that I feel like it would be an interesting point of discussion as well. And that is available for Rent and On Demand.
0: OK, our next choice is another one that was mentioned earlier in the show it's god help the girl it's available on itunes and amazon and rental and vod and it's the first movie from Stuart murdoch who is one of the guys from bell and sebastian fabulous music for people who think nick drake is too aggressive and edgy <laughs> but i actually like bell and sebastian I do too. I, i'm teasing because i actually enjoy bell and sebastian i have several other albums and i've heard good things about this movie and i would like to see it and as you mentioned earlier i believe it's about the formation of a Belle and Sebastianese kind of band and it stars Emily Browning, Ali Alexander and Hannah Murray. And they're all probably wearing incredibly beautiful clothes and berets. And I'm sure it's a very pleasant film. And I actually do want to see this. And, uh, you know, I think this would be a definitely a strong option as well. God help the girl. You can rent it on Amazon, iTunes and various other places and you can get it on VOD as well.
1: All right. And our last pick is also available for rent. It is noah uh, darren aronofsky's biblical ish movie about the story of noah the flood the ark building the animals two by two etc 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 uh i have seen this movie and matt you have not seen i this have movie. not i missed noah yeah but i i think there's so much to talk about with this one yeah it I, was, I bet there is yeah it's a really fascinating choice for Darren Aronofsky and I think a very difficult story to put to screen for many reasons Mm -hmm. and we can decide whether or not he succeeded in that. But that is
0: Noah. It is available for rent. Yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised if that was the pick, but that's good. That's fine. I have no problem with that. So which movie should we review on the next episode of film spotting streaming video unit? It's up to you. Send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com or enter in the poll on the right hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com your vote must be received by monday september 22nd at noon after that we'll announce the winner on twitter at our twitter account twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu and you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on our next episode which should be on or around tuesday september 30th
1: FilmspottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The Filmspotting SVU remixed theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. And we'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the review you pick. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can follow the show at Filmspotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from the SVU listeners. And do keep sending those to us, SVU at filmspottingsvu.com. We love and read and need your your suggestions for for that portion of the show. And
0: don't forget to maybe leave us a review on iTunes if you have a chance. If you enjoy the show, it really helps us reach new listeners. Just go on to iTunes. Give us five six eight stars don't leave
1: anything mean though because matt i read all of them up at night i I I read all of
0: them and they make me very upset (laughs) so leave us something nice so so
1: be kind yes (laughs) for film spotting svu i'm allison wilmore
0: and i'm matt singer thanks for listening